Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Sheba Mazavarian, and in this last CAPES episode, we'll focus on whether or not lifestyle changes are of benefit to psoriatic arthritis or spondylarthritis. Joining me for this discussion is internationally recognized rheumatologist, Dr. Elaine Husney. And offering patient perspectives is Brandon Robert and Brian LaFoy. Dr. Husney is the Vice Chair of Rheumatology and the Director of the Arthritis and Musculoskeletal Treatment Center at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Husney specializes in the treatment of psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, and osteoarthritis, specifically in the area of cardiovascular disease. She has multiple NIH research project grants and foundation grants supporting her research work. She's also a steering committee member for GRAPA, Group for Research and Assessment of Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis. Joining Dr. Husney is Brandon, who was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis at the age of 33, but who probably had it since his early 20s. After being diagnosed, his wife said, an object in motion tends to stay in motion, and that's when his journey of movement began in endurance and marathon events. Also joining us today is Brian, who's had severe plaque psoriasis since his early 20s, and psoriatic arthritis since his mid-30s. Brian also refuses to let his disease beat him and stays active by enjoying surfing, ice hockey, indoor soccer, and more. We'll hear more from Brandon and Brian soon about what they do and why they stay active. This episode is being brought to you by CAPES, Clinical and Patient Education Series, a joint collaboration with the National Psoriasis Foundation, GRAPA, or Group for Research and Assessment of Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis, Spartan, Spondyloarthritis Research and Treatment Network, and the Spondylitis Association of America. This collaboration is intended to increase awareness about the management of psoriatic arthritis and axial spondyloarthritis. Episodes will address why it occurs, management of pain and fatigue, treatment options, and the role of diet and exercise, From time to time, MPF shares sponsored content that we think is a benefit to those with psoriatic disease. MPF encourages everyone living with psoriatic disease to work with their healthcare providers to find an appropriate treatment for them. MPF does not offer medical advice, and this podcast should not be considered an endorsement of any particular product or treatment. Welcome, Dr. Husney, Brandon, and Brian. Thank you for joining Soundbites today. To start our discussion, Dr. Husney, We know treatments are important in reducing the effect of inflammation in psoriatic arthritis and spondylar arthritis, but is treatment enough to help control such diseases? Thanks so much for that question. I do think it's really interesting now that we have so many different treatments that are available for spondylar arthropathies and psoriatic arthritis that we do ask ourselves when patients aren't 100% controlled, are there any additional or adjunctive therapy that we can advise. And we do now know that there are much more evidence that supporting certain lifestyle changes in particular can be very helpful with somebody with signs and symptoms in psoriatic arthritis and spondyloarthritis. 
So some of those we'll talk today. So I'm really excited to be here on this podcast. But we will take a little deeper dive into how diet can impact your immune response, how exercise may also be helpful, as well as stress management and sleep. So I think all of these lifestyle factors can affect depending on what your particular lifestyle might be. So Brandon and Brian, when did your journey with psoriatic arthritis and spondyloarthritis begin? What symptoms did you notice? And when did you realize to help control your disease, you would have to make lifestyle changes? Brian, let's start with you. Thanks for that question. I have both psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, and I've lived with these diseases for most of my adult life. I'm 52 now and was diagnosed with psoriasis in my early 20s and psoriatic arthritis in my 30s. I've played competitive sports my entire life and continue to do so today. But one day, about 15 years ago, my right hand and fingers started to hurt almost overnight. I played a lot of indoor soccer as a goalie at the time and also a lot of ice hockey. So I was always hurt on some part of my body, so I didn't think much of it. Having aches and pains was just normal to me. But the pain intensified over the period of just a few days to the point where it was debilitating and I couldn't perform basic daily functions like picking up a pencil, driving, typing, and certainly couldn't continue to play sports. So it was puzzling to me, but I didn't think much of it. I went to the doctor thinking something was just broken or sprained, but all that proved to be negative. The problem was even the doctors couldn't diagnose what was wrong. And so then they performed exploratory surgery on me with still no diagnosis. After that, they put me on some awful antibiotics thinking I had some sort of bacteria and I couldn't handle the side effects of those. So I just stopped taking them. And I finally ended up diagnosing myself after exhausting all other options and doing a lot of research on what could be happening with my hand. So as soon as I diagnosed myself, I went to my dermatologist who was treating my psoriasis at the time, and he confirmed immediately that it was psoriatic arthritis. So initially medicine was the answer for me and biologic medication helped me return to the quality of life that I wanted. But while the medicine helped reduce the pain and arrest any further permanent joint damage, I still lived in pain every day. And I've since had several other joints in my body impacted. So after a few years, I just began to explore other lifestyle changes and try to supplement the benefits of the medication to give me an even better quality of life. My journey with ankylosing spondylitis began in my early 20s, although I I didn't know that there was actually anything wrong with me until I was about 32 years old. But I would have just like kind of intermittent times where all of a sudden I wouldn't be able to walk. But it was always associated with sports that I was playing or snowboarding or wakeboarding or kind of like Brian was talking about, just these kind of sports that, I mean, you hurt yourself. And so I always kind of contributed to that. And then finally, probably my late 30s, I was training for a triathlon and I got done with a workout and I couldn't walk. And I just thought, I'm going to go see if there's actually something wrong. Because I had been before and no doctor had ever diagnosed me with anything. And so I went to a sports injury specialist, told him what was going on. And he ordered an arthritis panel. And that's where they found it. And I think I was 32 years old. And so I started biologic treatment. And kind of like Brian, it got me closer to the quality of life I wanted, but the pain, it's always there. And I realized that I'm going to have to change a lot of things in my life if I want to 
stay one step ahead of this disease. So that's kind of the mission that I'm on now. And Brandon, what lifestyle changes did you make and how difficult was it at first? You mentioned you're involved in endurance and marathon events, but how hard was it to start such events? Did you check in with your physician first about participating in those types of events? I started small. I was afraid of hurting myself and I never like directly asked my rheumatologist. I would just kind of bring it up and they would say, oh, be careful. You're, you're kind of at an increased risk for damage. And so I was thinking about longevity. So I spent a pretty solid couple of years, but just learning to move through the pain of riding my bike, swimming, walking, walking half marathons, walking the triathlon part of triathlons. I kept going, but it was kind of a lot of trial and error. And then finally, a year and a half ago, I I got very frustrated to the point where I I finally realized that like, no matter what I do, it's going to hurt to some degree. So I just started running and I started biking further and swimming further. I found that the further I started going, the better I started to feel. So now training for 250 mile race. And I've done several Ironman events. And so I just want to go move because it's, it's what makes me feel the best. Wow, that's impressive. Thanks, Brandon. Brian, you also lead a very active lifestyle. What types of activities do you do? Yeah, I do. My biggest two activities right now are probably ice hockey and indoor soccer. I play ice hockey in two different leagues. So I play two or three games a week. And up until COVID, I was also playing in two different soccer leagues. So played two or three times a week in that too. I also snowboard and I surf several times a year. I play golf, I play tennis. I coach most of my kids' sports teams. And right now I'm I'm even training with my wife to run a half marathon. She's actually running the half marathon. I'm running a 5K. So Brandon, I'm nowhere near 250 miles. I'm happy with my 5K, but I stay pretty active. Sounds like it. Thank you both. Dr. Hasney, Brandon and Brian are exceptional examples of what being physically active can mean to overall control of psoriatic arthritis and spondylar arthritis. What happens when someone's not active with such diseases? Wow, Brian and Brandon, thank you for sharing your activities. You make me want to, maybe instead of driving home, I should be running back to my home after work today. Uh, Very inspiring um, stories. And Brandon, I love your idea of starting small. I think sometimes people feel that exercise has to be where they were once when they were younger. But once you've been diagnosed with a chronic disease, I just love that starting small and pacing yourself is just so important. And Brian, the variety of activities that you do are just impressive. And I also think that's a key is sometimes to be able to change things up and maybe not always be doing the same type of exercise all the time sometimes allows us to do more. So I think you both hit on things that have helped you get to a level of activity that allows you to feel good, but yet not having to pay for it the next day. And so I think that thermometer is very different for each patient with PSA or SPA, I think we do have to realize that being sedentary is probably not the right answer. And then how much exercise I think is a little more challenging to answer because it depends on your level of fitness, what you've been used to, and then 
your motivation in order to start small and then climb up that exercise ladder. So I love those little techniques, but I do think that there's many studies that show that exercising somewhat, whether it's just two or three times a week, whether it's training for an Ironman event, we know is better than being sedentary. So having exercise really helps your immune system to really get your T cells to be working the best they can, to really elongating something called telomeres. The length of a telomere shows up the health of your immune system. And it's been shown that exercise can improve this while a sedentary lifestyle does the opposite. So it makes it more difficult to optimize T cell function. It increases oxidative stress to your immune system. So anything we can do to counteract that in terms of more lifelong commitment to exercise versus a sedentary lifestyle is the most important rather than exactly how many minutes that you should be doing because it does vary from patient to patient. Interesting. Thanks, Dr. Hosni. So Brian, with being so active, have you noticed any benefits or impact on the management of your psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis? Yes, I have. When I'm active, my joint pain is more manageable and I think I flare less frequently. As an example, with being an athlete in contact sports my whole life, I've been hurt once or twice over the years where surgery was required. And so what I've noticed is that during my downtime recovering from surgery, there's been a negative impact on my joints in that they hurt more, they're stiffer from inactivity during that time I'm trying to recover, and I fatigue a lot easier. And just as another example, I had full knee replacement surgery about four years ago. And so I was out of sports for about three months recovering. And during that time, I noticed a significant difference in how often my joints hurt more than usual. Maybe some of that was due to the inflammation associated with just the surgery itself and the injury, but it seemed to be a common pattern for me with inactivity. Being active is also my stress relief. So I think reducing my stress through my activities also reduces the likelihood of my arthritis flaring. Thank you, Brian, for your insights on being active. And Brandon, same question. Did you notice any benefits or changes to management of your spondyloarthritis? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Mine sounds so similar to Brian's. So I don't like to rest very often. And a lot of people on Instagram will message me and say, do you ever rest? Do you ever take time off? And the answer is not really, because when I stop and I say, okay, I'm going to take two days off. I'm going to take three. I feel worse. I feel worse spending a day resting on the couch than I do if I go run 20 miles. That inactivity is just the absolute worst thing that I can do. And for a living, I'm a tattoo artist. So I sit. And after two or three days of sitting in the chair tattooing, I'm just in so much more pain. And so I know I need to go move. And so I get out there and I move. And I think what Dr. Husney said about varying your types of activities you do, I think that's really important. If I just swam every single day, I think I would get sore. I would also get bored. But when I swim and bike and run and stretch and all these different things, they all just work so well together. So I think if you can vary your activities, I think you're going to notice more positive impacts. That's great advice. And Brandon, you mentioned that you do have some pain on and off. How do you manage your pain associated with your arthritis? So, and Brian said it too, 
when he moves and does the sports he wants to do, the pain is much more manageable. It's exactly the same for me. I still have pain, but I'll take a bath, like heat, and then I'll ice my back. I'll just sit on an ice pack. And through those two things and stretching and foam rolling have been huge to me. I spend about close to an hour every single night stretching or foam rolling. And when you put those things together, the pain is just so much more manageable. Okay, and now I'm curious, what is foam rolling? It's just like circular foam, and they come in all different sizes, and they're like a cylinder, and you roll your muscles out on the floor, and it just helps so much. Thank you, Brandon. And Brian, do you have any comments about how you manage your pain associated with psoriatic arthritis? Yeah, so really the only time I stop being active is when I'm injured or physically unable. And Brandon, exactly the same thoughts I have is is I don't feel healthy when I'm not active. So I still have pain. I sometimes flare even when I'm in full activity and everything's great. And that stinks because it, it does impact my performance, whether I'm running or playing hockey or coaching my kids' games or, or whatever. And my choice in how to handle that is I, I just push through it. Because I'd still rather be active because I just don't like how I feel when I'm not doing something. And I know that may not be the advice that Dr. Husley might direct a patient, but that's just been what works for me. And, and that's how I deal with it. And they don't last too long, typically, for me. I, I usually don't have any after pain, like after I do activities or things like that, unless it's just a, a random flare. So a lot of times, like, for example, when I'm running right now, training for the 5K, my toes will just, they just hurt. And I just push through it. And when I'm done, a lot of times it'll stop after a little while and I move on to my next thing. So I love, Brandon and Brian, what you are intervening about. It's not only how you handle the pain, but how it also inadvertently helps you with stress relief and manage your pain more and probably help you sleep more. So as you can tell, a lot of these lifestyle changes seem to be kind of intertwined, right? So it's not just doing one thing versus the other, but really like all of them sort of help in a way. And I also love how you guys have the theme of inactivity as being, you know, evil. (laughs) So in our dietary patterns, you hear a lot about how sugar is bad. So I think it's really great that we start a dialogue about how being inactive and sedentary is really something that we want to work against. I think many times when people get hurt or after surgery, obviously it's much easier to just say, okay, I'm just going to be a couch potato and stay inactive. But what you're teaching us is just sort of repacing yourself. And as you're recovering from an injury that you still keep moving, because at some point you will then be able to build on that. So I agree with the both of you that even if there's a little bit less exercise that you need to do, a little less activity, we're really trying to not be sedentary or inactive. So I love that theme. Dr. Husney, given the discussion we've had so far, is there any weekly recommendation for the amount of exercise someone should receive if they have PSA or spondylarthritis? Is there an appropriate level of exercise? Sure. I think that it's probably going to be difficult for us to have like one size fits all or sort of a cookbook on exactly how many minutes a week. But we do have some guidelines in the U.S., 
Preventative Task Force, there is some data showing at least 20 minutes three times a week has helped mostly not so much with psoriatic arthritis or, or spondyloarthritis, but more in terms of being able to uh, have a heart-healthy lifestyle. So in that world, there is some metrics about consistency and having at least 20 or 30 minutes about three times a week. But obviously, we're all very different. And for some, even working up to that is a big challenge. And we understand that, especially if you're not used to doing any exercise. But I think the key from what I understand, working with our physical therapists and hearing from my patients and being active myself is that consistency is the key, right? And then varying your activities are also really helpful for your joints because repetitive motion sometimes can bother people if they're not used to a certain level of fitness. So I would say at least something a couple times a week and at least varying some of those exercises is probably a better recipe for success long-term than to say that all of us have to be training for a certain type of exercise or be playing a sport three to four times a week. If you can, that's great. But I do think there are some parameters that we want to start somebody off with exercise. But I'd love to hear from Brian and Brandon if there's any sort of exercise that you particularly like that's been helpful for our audience. I mean, not your major Ironman <laughs> training competition. I think that's tough for a lot of us, but love to hear some one or two exercise tips that you guys might have for us. I don't know that I really have any structured exercise regimen that I use. I play just competitive sports. That's what I enjoy doing. So like you mentioned earlier, just a variety of that, just using my whole body for different functions. When I'm playing ice hockey, it's focusing on a lot of my legs and my arms. And if I'm playing soccer, it's my hands and something else or snowboarding. It's a different set of muscles and surfing. And I guess probably the only thing I do when I do go surfing, since I live in Dallas, Texas, there's not a lot of oceans close by. So I usually have to plan those trips a little ahead of time. And I will train before I go out and, and surf just because it's so hard on my muscles and joints with the paddling involved in surfing. So I will spend some time in the pool before I go on those trips to try to condition myself a little bit better to have a little bit more enjoyable trip. But I think overall, I just do a lot of things and use my body as much as I can. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of the swimming pool. You don't have to swim for a, like Ironman distance stuff, but for recovery or just non-impact movement, that's the first place I go after I do something very strenuous, very long. I'll go spend a couple days swimming and then I'll go in the sauna, and that helps to kind of keep things loose, but not create any more soreness or anything. And then the other thing that I am a huge advocate of is if you want to run, I think it's really important to warm up. I use like a little resistance band around my legs, and I'll do like a 15 to 20 minute warm up, and then I'll ease into my run. The first three miles I know are going to be hard to move but eventually i will get loosened up and that goes back to how i was saying to just start small i want to point out to the listeners that i did not just decide to run 250 miles i have been working at this for years and after i was diagnosed there was a time when walking for 10 minutes on a treadmill 
was the absolute most I could do, but I did it. And then the next day I did it again. And then the next day I went a little further. And so you just kind of build these little tiny layers over time that will eventually get you to new places that maybe you didn't think you could get to. That was great. I just love Ryan's analogy of just really using your whole body whenever you can. And Brandon, I forgot, warming up is so important. That's, I just wanted to emphasize, I think that's really key. And of course, swimming is just nice because you're really using flotation, really taking some of the weight off your joints. So that's also a really good way to work yourself up to land-based therapy to start with swimming. So those were all really helpful. Thank you, Dr. Hasni. We've spoken quite a bit about the benefits of being active and taking it slow to start. What are some other modifiable behavior or lifestyle changes that could help improve overall health? You've mentioned a few during our discussions earlier. Yeah, I think we touched a little bit on it, but we should expand on, in addition to exercise, there's definitely a stress component or stress management. I think it's impossible to say that we're going to delete all the stress from our lives. I think a little stress is always good, but I think managing the stress and knowing that exercise, for example, relieves your stress is really important. Some people go shopping, some people read a favorite book. I think there's many ways that we can decrease our stress level or being able to manage it. And I think that's really important to know what your stress management is and doing that has really also been shown to help your immune system. And some people take it a step further and do many deliberate mindful techniques. So that's meditation and really taking it through another level. There's also many exercises such as yoga and qigong that takes breathing as well as movement into account with stress management. I also think that your diet matters, but not to the point where what we're seeing in the lay press, which is trying to specialize and saying, okay, the pineapple diet is going to make your psoriatic arthritis better. So I don't think it's a particular type of diet, but more so probably making smarter choices about your diet. So probably following more of a plant-based or Mediterranean diet has really been shown to improve our ability of our immune system to work. And I think that plays a big role. And then the last thing is sleep. I think sleep is also really important and probably underrated because if you're like me raising three kids, the nighttime is really where it eats up into my day, where I try to get everything done and that eats into my sleep. And I really do notice that when I don't get enough sleep, the next day becomes a bit harder. So I imagine that eating right, stress management and exercising will allow us to probably fall asleep faster and get more restful sleep over time. Thank you, Dr. Hasney. Those are all great points and key lifestyle changes to assess. Britton and Brian, other than being amazing athletes, I'm just blown away by all you do. What other personal choices have you made to help impact outcomes of your arthritis? So I'll start. And I guess, first of all, I'm pleased to hear that a lot of what I'm going to talk about is in line with what Dr. Husney just discussed. So I feel pretty good about some of the changes I've made, but I've, I've done a few things. Mainly, I've changed what I eat. I spent most of my life being able to eat anything and everything with the metabolism I've had and the activity at level I've had. But as I've learned about the impacts that some foods have on the body as far as digestion and inflammation and energy level, I've changed my diet. So knowing that inflammation is an issue with my body, I've tried to limit inflammatory triggers in foods like dairy, sugar, red meat, gluten, 
fortunately, I don't have any food sensitivities, so I haven't eliminated these completely. I've just tried to make, as Dr. Pesney alluded to, just smarter choices, so I don't eat them very often. I'll still go out for a steak dinner. I'll put cheese on my baked potato and have dessert. But what I realized is that the stress involved with trying to stick to just a completely strict diet, especially when traveling or at work functions or going out with friends, that's worse than actually eating those foods in moderation in the first place. So I try to follow kind of a 90-10 rule on healthy eating where every once in a while I indulge myself. It's not easy. It takes a lot of self-control to stick with a diet like that, but it's absolutely worth it. And I call myself gluten conscious instead of gluten free because I still like my craft beer once in a while and have a slice of pizza, but for the most part, I avoid it. And I've seen the results in this in, in a few ways. I'm not an overweight guy. I'm in good shape, but just by changing my diet and changing nothing else, keeping the same activity level, I've lost 20 pounds. And that's 20 pounds that my joints aren't having to carry anymore. So when I engage in physical activity, my joints don't hurt as much. I feel faster and I just feel better about myself. The other thing I do is I balance my sports activities with other interests that I have, like music, building things in my garage, playing with my kids. I think stress is a big trigger for me. So all these things help keep my stress level down. And the last thing I've done is exactly what Dr. Husney was talking about, is I try to get a good night's sleep every night. I went a lot of years with just minimal sleep and our bodies heal when we're asleep, right? So I try to do the best I can to have a balanced schedule now. Wow. Brian, sounds like you recognize what changes improve your life for the better. So Brandon, any additional comments about lifestyle changes you've made? I've made a lot of changes in this area, but they've all come through trial and error. And basically, I just want to feel the best I possibly can every day. And so I have found that when I don't eat gluten and I don't eat dairy and I eat as little processed sugar as possible, I just feel the best. So that's what I do. And it's hard to do, but the feeling I get from doing it outweighs the desire to eat those foods. So I don't eat them. And another thing for me is I don't sleep a lot. I sleep enough because it's important to recovery, but because of the race I'm training for and the way I train, I sleep for four hours or I'll sleep for three hours and go running. One of the things that has been hugely beneficial above all else is a daily meditation between 30 to 60 minutes. And I can't do it every day, but I try. And I just use guided meditation on YouTube. And it's just so recharging for me that I can go on four hours of sleep as long as I get my time to meditate, I think it helps you to recover, to kind of shift gears in, into what you need to do next. So I'm a huge advocate of meditation and diet. And this is just like everything else I've been saying. Don't just change all these things at once. Don't just listen to this podcast and say, okay, I'm done with dairy. I'm done with gluten. I'm, make very small changes. Just say, I'm going to not eat cheese. I'm going to get rid of cheese and I'm going to eat sour cream. Just get rid of one thing at a time, and that makes it much more, I think, not something that's just going to happen and then disappear. It's going to become an actual lifestyle change. All sorts of changes, Brandon. Thank you. So you've all mentioned diet as a lifestyle change. Dr. Husney, you previously mentioned the Mediterranean diet. 
Are there any specific diets or points for managing overall nutritional health? Well, I just learned a new word, gluten conscious. <laughs> I think that's great. I don't think the diet itself is so easy to say that if I avoid one thing, whether it be gluten or dairy, that in itself, I think really making smart food choices that are whole foods, nutrient-rich foods, rather than empty calories, I think plant-based, but not at the exclusion of eating absolutely no meat or dairy. I think there's a balance, but like Brian and Brandon mentioned, you have to kind of know what your own triggers are. But I do think that we have some literature showing that Mediterranean, which is kind of more so in the plant-based olive oil types of uh, diets have shown to improve symptoms of psoriatic arthritis. So I do think there is probably some value in sticking to more natural whole foods. Whether or not I have enough evidence to say that avoiding a certain type of fruit, vegetable, or sugar in itself will improve, that will be a little bit harder to prove right now. But I do think that people should take into account their own triggers as well. There's many people who do sort of elimination diets or just kind of know what they might be eating in a week and what bothers them and what doesn't, I think is important as well. Thank you, Dr. Hasni. Those are all such great points. And while response to treatment is more complicated, I'm curious, is losing weight a potential strategy for improving response to treatment such as biologics? Yeah, so we do have a lot of evidence that if you are at a higher BMI, meaning you are overweight or obese, that many of our biologics do not work as well. And in addition to that, we also have another study that shows as you're losing weight, you're able to reach better control of your signs and symptoms on a biologic. So we do have evidence showing that being a more normal BMI, that you do respond better to medications. So I don't think that having just a low BMI is the goal. I think it's more that people that are overweight or obese will have some benefits if they get to a normal weight. But I don't think necessarily you have to be below your recommended BMI in order to improve any further. So hopefully that makes sense. It does. Thank you, Dr. Hasney. So Brandon, Brian, you've already mentioned changes that you've made to your diet. Do you have any other comments you'd like to make about diet? Yeah, I think Brandon mentioned this earlier. I think the biggest thing that I agree with is don't try it all at once because we've talked about it. It's hard to change your diet and maintain it. So take it step by step. Start with one thing at a time and work your way up. Typically, no one thing works. I think Dr. Husney talked about that. And, and so find the combination of things that works best for you. And it's taken me years of process and trying different things to figure out what works best and what doesn't. And sometimes what used to work doesn't anymore. So you have to continually define what does work. Do your research on it. For example, I mentioned that I've reduced dairy. So I try to use almond milk and coconut milk as a substitute. Well, even some of those I've learned have inflammatory ingredients. So I've had to dive even deeper into labels to make sure I'm not doing some of this in vain. So never stop researching and understanding what you're putting in your body. And I think the biggest thing it certainly has helped me is have a support group. And so whether that's your family or your friends or other patients or doctors or social media or whatever that is, it's helpful to have others surround you that who can support you and understand your goals in getting there. I think 
don't change everything all at once. I learned that from being an artist where I paint a lot. So don't change all the colors of paint you use and all the brushes you use at the same time. Just change one color. Just change one paintbrush and work with that change for a couple weeks. And then when that becomes something you don't think about and it just is happening, make another change. Change one other paintbrush. And so it's just all these little tiny things that you just, over time, you make these changes. And, and I also think that Brian said about having some support is really helpful. And I have found that on Instagram where a lot of people with AS will message me or I can message them. And they ask me, you know, what medications do you take? What foods do you eat? And I'll message them like, hey, do you get a headache after you take your shot? Or do you, it's nice. I mean, I don't want to, for lack of better words, misery loves company, right? It's nice to have people that know what you are going through and you know what they're going through and you can just support each other. And so that's kind of how I do things. Thank you, Brandon. Support is important. So Dr. Husney, we've talked about diet and exercise, but previously you mentioned sleep. We know with psoriatic arthritis and spondyloarthritis that fatigue and loss of sleep are an issue that just make inflammation worse. Do you have any recommendations for reducing fatigue and pain to help optimize sleep? Yeah, fatigue is one of the most common things that I get complaints about weekly in my clinic. And I think it's really difficult because it's usually multifactorial. But getting good sleep, or I should say restful sleep, is probably really helpful in terms of trying to move that needle in the right way for fatigue, since there's just so many things that can influence your energy level. One of the obvious things that most of us talk about, but probably hard to do, is really that sleep hygiene. So that's what you're doing an hour or two before you're going to sleep. And so just kind of reminding what we do as parents in terms of winding down our kids, right? We don't really let them have electronics right before. We don't really feed them right before. So very similar, we try into adulthood to maintain some sort of sleep hygiene and have a routine so that your body knows to kind of slow down and be ready for sleep rather than revving yourself up right before sleep. So whatever your sleep hygiene might be, for the majority of people, it is to get away from the TV, electronics, and stressful looking at your to-do list. You know, maybe do that first thing in the morning and try to develop a more relaxing, restful sleep hygiene for those that have trouble falling asleep. And then the other common thing I hear about is that, you know, because your joints hurt or your low back hurts when you're lying for long periods of time is how do I get comfortable so I'm not constantly being woken up in the middle of the night. And so many of that also plays a role in how we can get restful sleep, whether or not changing these certain lifestyle habits, managing your stress better, exercising, avoiding inactivity, and improving your diet will probably all intertwine and help you get better sleep hygiene and therefore better restful sleep throughout the night. Thank you, Dr. Hasney. It's a great reminder and good perspective on our sleep habits. So Brian and Brandon, we know stress can be associated with loss of sleep and flares of disease. How does stress affect you? You mentioned stress previously, but do you have any tips for de-stressing your life? Yes. Stress is a big deal. I think stress shows up in me through fatigue and flares with my joint pain. 
And there are days when I'm more tired and fatigued from just being at work and the stressful day than if I'd have gone out and played three hockey games in a row, which I've done. So to de-stress, I pray, I play sports, I play with my kids, I spend time with my wife and family, and, and I have my hobbies that I mentioned earlier. So I'm a structural engineer by trade, and so I have a pretty stressful job full of deadlines and commitments. So when I stop working for the day or for the week, I just really try to remove it from my thoughts and focus on things that are a little more fun. So like I said, daily meditation for stress is really important for me. And we also have really kept our life for other reasons, my wife and I, just very simple, just very kind of stress-free. I used to be a firefighter paramedic before I became a tattoo artist. And I eventually left just because of the stress. So we just keep our life very simple. We have two dogs. We play with the dogs, take my son on a bike ride. We'll go mountain biking. Our son, he runs and swims. So I work out with him. Just keep things kind of simple because I notice when I get stressed out about anything, I feel worse. So I just try and do everything I can to minimize that. Such great perspectives. Thank you. So what does overall wellness mean to you? Brandon, let's start with you. So wellness to me is, I think, probably like an all-encompassing term of your mental, physical, spiritual well-being. And I think for people that suffer from diseases like this, our journey to wellness is just going to be harder. So you just have to be willing to put forth a little bit more effort and make little changes each day that overall bring about more wellness in your life. And it's not easy to do, but all the changes I have made have been totally worth it. I would never go back to things I did before I got diagnosed. I'm going to most likely be battling this disease for my entire life. So these are life changes that I have made and just got to work at it. And so wellness to me is just, it just encompasses you as an individual and kind of those three things and realizing that you deserve to be taken care of. You need to take care of yourself. Thank you, Brandon. And Brian, what does wellness mean to you? Gosh, I don't know that I can give a better definition than what Brandon just did, but I agree. I think it's just your daily state of being on how you feel. And I think it does include not only physical wellness, but mentally and maybe socially and Brandon mentioned spiritually. So I think it involves all that and what your lifestyle decisions are and nutrition and exercise and sleep and all that and what your path is to basically making healthy decisions. It's so true. Thank you, Brian. And Dr. Husney, as a rheumatologist, how do you define wellness? Wow. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to go first on that one. <laughs> Randon and Brian did a really good job. I think it's something where it's so hard to define, but when you have it or see it in a patient, you kind of know that they're there. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where I think it's when your living or your life goes well, both as you guys mentioned physically, spiritually, mentally, that they all coalesce. And I think of it as being really well balanced in all of those areas. Thank you, Dr. Hosni. And to all of you, I'd like to thank you for your perspectives on wellness today and for such an interesting discussion about personal choices and lifestyle changes. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners today? Let's start with Brian. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to all the listeners, and I hope this was a, a helpful discussion. 
You heard me talk earlier about finding a support group. And in my experience, it does take a village to raise a child. And I mentioned that for me, that village is my faith with God, my family, my friends, my doctors, and the National Psoriasis Foundation. So find your village and know that you're not alone. There are resources out there to help you figure out your next steps. And I know Brandon and mine's lifestyle isn't for everyone. I feel very blessed that I'm able to live with this disease and still do the things that I love. But I have other psoriasis friends who are wheelchair bound because of this disease. So my message today is to not give up and continue to fight this disease in a way that's best for you. This is where my fire that I have burns really deep for all the people out there listening. Diseases like this make us feel like you really can't do anything just because you hurt so bad. It's incredible to me the amount of pain the human body is able to inflict on itself. And so for all the listeners out there, I want you to know that you can still do anything that you want to do. My message is you don't need to be running 100 miles. You don't need to be doing an Ironman. You just need to be working towards something you don't think you can do. And I assure you that you will surprise yourself because I have surprised myself in ways I never imagined. And the other thing for me is, is Brian talks about support groups. So find a support group that you believe in that you think helps you and be a part of that because I used to be very naive to this disease and I didn't want to talk to anybody that had it. I didn't want to see anybody that had it. I always just said, you know, I'm going to do this my way. This is my story, not theirs. And But what I found is that our experiences are all alike. And when you can relate to that, it makes you feel like you're not alone, which diseases like this do. So we are capable of so much more than we think. It just takes a little more work. Wow, that was really a nice way to wrap it up. I wanted to really shout out to the both of you. I think it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there and answer these questions with the honesty uh, that you both have. I think that the listeners are really lucky to have you come out today and really be challenged and to be able to articulate these thoughts. I think many of my patients feel very similar, but just don't really have the ability to articulate this. So this was really helpful to hear. I think the only other message that I would love to have the listeners think about is that as a rheumatologist, when we diagnose a patient with PSA, or AS, this is really a lifelong disease. And we realize that and we don't take that lightly. It's difficult for us sometimes to deliver that news because we don't have a cure. But I am so thankful that there are so many new treatments that are out there. And even though this podcast is on wellness and wellness strategies, I really truly believe that the therapies we do have have been really helpful and life-changing and that wellness strategies are really an adjunct to the current treatment that we have. And really the patients that I feel that do the best are the patients that embrace both. And that's really what I've seen. And that's what I hope we all work towards that the biologic treatments and other oral medications that are needed for these disease are explained and educated with as much rigor as the wellness strategies that we did today. What a great way to end this podcast. Thank you again, Dr. Husney, Brandon, and Brian for being here with us today, for sharing your thoughts about overall wellness, lifestyle changes, 
and for offering solutions that could potentially help our listeners. We appreciate your insights into the management of spondylarthritis, which includes psoriatic arthritis. You can learn more about spondylarthritis through the Spondylitis Association of America at spondylitis.org and psoriatic arthritis from the National Psoriasis Foundation at psoriasis.org. Be sure to register for the November 3rd CAPES webinar about lifestyle changes featuring Dr. Husney, Brian, Brandon, and rheumatologist Dr. Lennon Calabrese at capes.performmedia.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.